The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his book, The World of the End, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, we'll send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. You shouldn't be surprised that mankind is becoming more and more sinful in the last days. The Bible said that would happen. But what can you do about it? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares some helpful advice from God's Word to help you shine your light more brightly in this darkening world. Here's David with the conclusion of his message, a biographical prophecy, and Times People. And I want to thank you for joining us today. This is kind of a, an ugly picture that we're painting uh, that, uh, that God tells us this, this is what it's going to be like in our society as the time of his return draws nigh. And if you don't believe it, you're just not paying attention because these things are everywhere evident as we're discovering as we look at this passage in Second Timothy. End times people, a biographical prophecy. You know, um, this is the time of the year when many, many people tour Israel, and we have done it at this particular time in years past. I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to go there and to see the sights that you've been reading about and hearing about if you're a Christian for many of us since we were little children. Those sights are still there. They're authentic, most of them. I'm sure there's uh, some imagination uh, mixed into a few places, but most of them, places like Nazareth, uh, the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden Tomb, those are all places that they're verified. They're, they're the places where it really happened. And to see Galilee, to be on the Sea of Galilee, to be uh, in Joppa, uh, which is uh, where, where Peter lived, these are all just incredible things. And you never forget them. And I just want to make sure you're doing everything you can to make our tour to Israel in March of 2024 a part of your bucket list and perhaps one of those things that gets realized as you pray about it. The dates are the 12th through the 22nd. We'll have Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, um, and many others with us to make this a very special time. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's take part two now of End Times People, a biographical prophecy. Now, I'm going to do something right now that I... I've fought with myself all week as to whether I should do this or not. So I'm not really sure whether I should do it, but I'm going to do it. So one of my favorite preachers is Tony Evans. I love Tony Evans. Believe it or not, when I graduated from seminary, I went back and I taught some postgraduate courses, and Tony Evans was in my class. My great claim to fame was I was Tony Evans' teacher for one semester. And so everything good about him, he learned from somebody else. If he's messing up, it's my fault. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Tony and his family have been friends of ours for so many years, and I love to hear this man preach because what an orator he is. When he goes off on one of his orations, he just spellbinds you. And I heard one in one of his messages recently that totally illustrates what I'm talking about, and I can't be Tony Evans, so don't get your expectations up. But I'm going to tell you what he said. 
If you're a messed up man and you have a family, you're going to help make a messed up family. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family and your messed up family goes to church, then your messed up family is going to make its contribution to a messed up church. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood, and your neighborhood's part of a city, well, you messed up neighborhood's going to make its contribution to a messed up city. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county, and your county is part of the state, well, your messed up county is going to make its contribution to a messed up state. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county, contributed to a messed up state, and your state's part of the country, well, guess what? Your messed up state's going to make its contribution to your messed up nation. And if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county that's contributing to a messed up state. Your messed up country is going to make its contribution to a messed up world. So, do you get that? I wish I could do it like him, but I can't. But I love the way he does it and love most of all his point. It starts with individuals, doesn't it? We look around, we say, oh, this, my church is a mess. Well, you probably had something to do with that, <laughs> right? If you're looking for a perfect church, if you can find it, don't go there because you mess it up. <laughs> and so... You know, we're always looking for some corporate answer to the problems, but the problems are ours. Our families are what we create them to be. Our counties are what we allow them to be. Our cities are, it's all about us. So unless we're willing to take insight on ourselves, we don't have much of a chance to get better, do we? So we have selfish people. We have families that reflect on the selfishness of the people in them. And then those families go into churches and cultures and societies, and the society becomes what the family is. So what do we do with that? I mean, in this message series, I've been trying to tell you, here's where we are, here's what that means, and where do we go from here? So here's the end of the matter. How do Christians live in such a place where selfishness reigns and immorality increases, how can we be different kind of end times people in a broken world? Let's take a page from Benjamin Franklin. In his autobiography, Franklin described the darkness that filled the streets of Philadelphia during his day. It was pitch black at night and people were sleeping and on the streets and they were stepping into mud puddles and stumbling over rough stones and even worse, crime was growing. It wasn't safe to be out after sunset. So Franklin waged an intense campaign to persuade everyone to light the area around their own house. But he got nowhere. Finally, he just did it himself. But only in front of his own house. He planted a pole in front of his porch with a kerosene light on top of the pole. That night in the city of Philadelphia, there was one house bathed in warm glow 
The lamp casts light on the street, giving passerbys a feeling of well-being and safety. But the next night, another house had a lamp, and then another, and pretty soon almost the whole city was lighting the walkways in front of their houses at night. Franklin learned something. He learned that our example is often greater than our words and our admonitions. And that's what we need to learn. With that in mind, I want to lift you out of 2 Timothy and take you to Ephesians 5. And this is the passage that says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That sentence is short enough to memorize, but it's powerful enough to illumine the pathways around your life. First of all, you need to remember the grace that you received. How do we walk in the light when our society is defined by end times people? How do you be a Christian if you're surrounded by people who are doing the kinds of things we're watching right now? Literally destroying the fabric of our country. Well, you have to experience God's grace through an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Metaphors involving light pervade scripture. And Ephesians 5, 8 describes the difference that comes over us when we have grace with Christ. Before that moment, we live in darkness, as deep as underground caverns. We are spiritually, morally, personally, and eternally in pitch blackness. But the moment we come to Christ, he pushes down the lever that connects us to the throne of grace, and he switches on a billion megawatts of light inside of our souls. That experience is so vivid that many Christians describe their moment of grace in bright terms. So first of all, remember your salvation. Remember the grace you received. Remember that but for the grace of God, you would be a part of this culture, doing the things that right now are so hurtful to you. Without Jesus Christ in your life, you are capable, I am capable, of all those things that we watch that are just making us shake our heads. Number two, reflect the light that you have become. That brings us to our next tactic for living in these dark times. We have to exude God's light. We have to convey it. We have to reflect it. We have to radiate it. That's what we read in Ephesians 5, 8. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Men and women, I am concerned about the way this present darkness is casting the shadow over many churches and over many Christians. Too many people in our community of faith are trying to blend the light and the darkness so they can kind of come up with a grayness in their life. And that doesn't work. It's a devilish lie to believe that we can be Christians without being different and distinct from the world. You can't. And you can't marry the world so that you'd be more acceptable to them. A lot of my younger friends who are pastors are doing that now with many of the social issues that we're facing in this country. As followers of Jesus, we have left the kingdom of darkness and we are now children of light. So now we must walk, we must live as children of light. We have this ceremony here on Christmas Eve that's always so meaningful to me and I know it's more meaningful to me than anybody else because I get to stand up here and watch all of you light your candles. 
It starts out just like in Ben Franklin's story. It starts out with my grandson, who's been walking down that aisle now for over 12 years and bringing me the original candle. And I take that original candle with that light, and I light all of the servers, and little by little, they light the rows in this building until when it's all done, you look up, and this room is full of light. The light has dispelled the darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, we're only one candle, each of us. But the Bible says when you have a city on a hill where all the candles are lit, no one can deny the truth. So the most important thing we can do as Christians in the darkness of our time is to let our light so shine that men will see us and they will give glory to the Father. Castlefield Church is in the center of Derby, UK. As a section on its website for its members to share how they found the light of Christ. So here's one that showed up on that website. Amanda grew up without a Christian background except for a great aunt who would talk about the Lord and give out Bibles. And when Amanda was 25, she was studying at a university feeling very depressed and having trouble finding employment. One night she was walking home on a cold February evening. She heard someone singing behind her. He was singing loudly. Amanda turned around and said, why are you so happy? He said, I'm praising the Lord. He makes me so happy. Turns out the man was a Nigerian evangelist. And over time, he answered Amanda's questions, gave her literature, pointed her to the passages of Scripture, explained the gospel simply through his words so that she could understand it. And one evening, she said, something supernatural happened. A light switched on. And I believed Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, and it all became so personal. I gave my life to Jesus that February night in 1998, and Jesus became my Lord and Savior. Note that phrase, a light switched on. How many of you can say today, I remember the day when the light switched on. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. When I read that story, I could almost hear that Nigerian evangelist singing as he walked through the dark streets of Derby. His faith lit up the sidewalk, and he was living out the words of Christ, who says to us that we are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Finally, remember the grace you received, reflect the light you've become, and reveal the darkness that you see. The Ephesians passage goes on to tell us something else. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed and are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. If you turn over a brick on a bright day, you'll see a whole world of bugs and pests fleeing in every direction. These creatures prefer the darkness, and the light expels them. And in the same way, the world is ill at ease when we walk in the light and seek through our lives to reveal Christ's holiness. Did you notice how this happened naturally after you gave your life to Christ? All of a sudden, the people around you started looking at you differently. What's wrong with him? He doesn't laugh at my dirty jokes anymore. What's wrong with her? She doesn't like to get wasted on weekends anymore. We reply, well, you know what? I'm a child of the light. 
And I can't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Some people will turn away from us. Some will continue to be our friends. But our joint activities will become different. And some of them will follow your trail of light and find Christ for themselves. Let me give you a key little principle that I found really helps. The word fellowship in Ephesians 5.11 is translated from the Greek word soon koinoneo. The last part of the word means fellowship. But the prefix soon is the Greek word for the word with. It means participating with someone in doing something. This verse tells us that once we become a child of the light, we can no longer participate with those who are doing the works of darkness. You can't fellowship with them doing what they do. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you tell them you don't want to see them anymore, you don't want to be their friends, but it means you don't do what they do. You don't fellowship soon with them. John says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light, And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. You and I are children of light. I don't want to be a negative person, offensive, making people uncomfortable, or drive people away. We can't help being lights in the darkness wherever we go. And it's going to be different for you if you live for Christ. If you're not trying to be gray, if you're not trying to mesmerize your own self by marrying the darkness with the light which doesn't work and is not acceptable and will just lead you wrong if you're trying to really be the light you just need to get excited about this someone isn't going to like you as much as they did before but what i know is this everybody in the world whether they like to admit it or not is looking for light they're searching they're trying to figure out why they are the way they are why they do what they do they're looking for someone to help them And if you don't shine the light, if you compromise your witness, they won't come to you because they'll see the phoniness of who you are and what you're doing. So interesting to me what happens when you become a Christian. Well, one day I was in this barbershop and my friend, and I was getting my hair cut, and he knows I'm a pastor and we have a good positive relationship. And all of a sudden this guy comes in, he sits down in the other chair, and he starts in with vulgarity like you would not believe. He's telling a dirty joke, and he's trying to make, and he's laughing, and it's like, you know how they, and my barber, he doesn't realize, I'm sitting there looking at the mirror, and he's behind me, so I can see him. And he's telling his barber friend, (laughs) the pastor's in the house, come on. He, well, why wouldn't he just do what he wanted to do if he's who he is? Because when you're the light, You bring condemnation to people who are in the darkness. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. People will be different around you. That doesn't mean you're better than they are. That just means it's the light that dispels the darkness. Did you know that in the English language and in language itself, there is no word for darkness? The word for darkness is coined. Darkness is just the expression of the absence of light. So darkness isn't a quantity. It's the absence of light. When you walk into a situation, you change the darkness. You become a part of lighting up that area where you are. The light of the world is coming through you, and Jesus Christ is living his life out in you. That brings me back to Sean Hopwood, with whom we began. Remember him? He was going to prison at the age of 23. 
As time went by, he got a job in the prison library, and he began reading books about the law. And as he learned about the law, he began taking on cases for fellow prisoners, writing petitions they could use in federal courts. They called him the jailhouse lawyer. Sean also began corresponding with a friend named Annie, his secret crush through high school. Furthermore, his parents let him know they continued to pray for him, and his mom, she kept sending him Christian books. One day, Sean's prison friend, Robert, had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Sean took all that in, and he found it increasingly difficult to rationalize his own darkened life. After Sean was released from prison in 2009, he and Annie were engaged, and they asked Pastor Marty Barnhart to officiate the wedding. But Barnhart wanted to talk to them first. He asked them what they believed about Jesus, and he said they could be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. And the pastor's exact words were, Yeah, even you, Sean. Here's what happened next. The next day, I couldn't accept the feeling, said Sean, that God had been pursuing me for a long time, and that if I just abandoned my stubbornness and selfishness and hand everything over to him, I would find redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed, and how do you redeem yourself after robbing five banks? Well, the answer is you don't. The answer is that you need some help. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, Paul writes that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. To put it differently, because of our sins, none of us, and surely no former prisoner like me, said Sean, can be redeemed on our own. We need the gospel of grace, which says that each of us matters and has worth because we're made in the image of God. Grace says we are not defined by our failures and our faults, but by a love without merit or condition. God's grace was enough to redeem me, he said. Sean and Annie asked Christ to come into their lives. They were married. They were baptized. They moved to Seattle so Sean could attend the University of Washington Law School. And believe it or not, today Sean is a professor of law at the Georgetown University in Washington where he is spreading the light every day. We're living in a messed up world. Let's face it. The Bible warns that in the last days, prayerless times will come. Society will go from bad to worse. But remember, the city of Ephesus was also a place of darkness in Paul's day, the city to which his letter was written. Yet Paul viewed the Christians there as children of light. Their presence lit up the city streets with the glow of Jesus. So even in dark days, you can experience God's grace, exude his radiance, exhibit his holiness, and in a world increasingly dominated by the end times, God has empowered you to shine. And how many of you know the darker the night, the brighter the light? So let's don't complain about the world in which we live. Let's take advantage of the difference we make. Let's don't be obnoxious, weird people. You know, some Christians are like that. You, know, you see people like that, you don't want what they have. You want to get away from them as far as you can. But if you're gracious, godly people, and you let your light so shine, and when others are being cruel, you're kind. When others are doing the things that Paul described people do in the last days, you don't do that. You are not an alpha-privative Christian. But you're a Christian 
in the truest sense and you live your life that way, you will make a difference in this world. And if all of us determine to let our light shine, we can light up this world just like we light up this church on Christmas Eve. Amen. You know, that's a, a great vision to have. I'm going to be a light today. When we go to do our rallies and, and we're getting uh, ready for the ones in the fall, uh, everybody gets a little wristband when they come in, and it has four different colored lights on it. And the lights are not controlled by the people who wear the bands. They're controlled by a guy sitting up in a control booth. And so he can turn all the lights on at the same time, and he can change the colors. He can make them vibrate. It's one of my favorite pictures in the rally scene because it is a reminder to all of us. Yeah, it's dark out there. You can sit around and curse the darkness, or you can just be a light. Be different. Show people what it's like when Christ is living in your heart. It's a great uh, reminder to all of us that the time in which the Bible was written, the people who read these words that we read for the first time were living in a much darker time than we are, and yet they held up their light, and they let their light shine so that men would see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. What a goal for all of us. Well, thank you for being with us today. Tomorrow we're going to talk about cancel culture. Oh, my goodness. It's it's captured everybody's attention. It's a political prophecy, and we'll talk about it tomorrow right here on Turning Point. I hope you'll join us. Have a great day. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is encouraging you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Tawasson, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Plus the bonus resource, Warning Signs of the End Times. They're yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Where Do We Go From Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche was no friend of Christianity, as evidenced by this remark he made about Christians. 
I would believe in their salvation, he said, if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. We could dissect Nietzsche's words a number of different ways, but let's think about this one question. What should a person who has been saved look like? I think the Apostle Paul gives the best clue in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian ought to manifest love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the difference God can make on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.